I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at KindFarmsInc, all one word. That's K-I-N-D-P-H-A-R-M-S-I-N-C. And their website is KindFarmsInc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is RYAN10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back from our holiday hiatus. I hope you all had the best holidays and I'm wishing you a happy new year. Today on An Actor Despairs, we have actor Will Catlett. He is amazing and so grounded. You know him from True Story, Lovecraft Country, and Black Lightning. He has such a grounded and tremendous respect for this business, and it was such an immense pleasure talking with him. Will, I love you, brother. Here it is. Will Catlin, welcome to An Actor Despairs. How are you doing, brother? Oh, man, I'm so excited to be here with you. You know, it's nothing better than to talk about actors in the journey. So uh, I'm excited when you when I got the call. <laughs> oh, thank you for coming, man. I, I finished your story and, and it was cool to see you in that, man. And and congratulations on signing with Sugar 23. That's such an awesome place to be, man. I'm very envious of that. And and you're you, Black Lightning, you know, man, you're, you're crushing it right now. How are you feeling? Man, I'm feeling on top of the world, you know, because, you know, as artists, we know we've been on the grind for so long. You know that people are just now get introduced to you, in a, but you already know what is with inside you. So it's exciting to be able to share what is within with the world. If that makes sense. I love that, man. Well, in order to, to fully understand what's in, which, what is within, let's start from the beginning. Man. Mm-hmm. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Alexandria, Virginia. We call it the DMV because it's D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. It's all surrounded by a beltway. Richmond, Virginia. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> I have to take my glasses off now. Oh, man, 804. What are you? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to T.C. Williams High School. Uh, oh, the Titans of course, school. man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what the name of the school my mom is went to your, My mom went to Yorktown High School. Okay, got yeah, it, got yeah. it, got it, yeah. So my family's in Arlington, so I know Alexandria a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was born and raised there. Um, I didn't think about acting when I was doing that. I was a basketball player. That's what kind of got me to California, to Iowa, and all the, that whole journey of playing sports. So talk to me about growing up. What, what did your parents do? 
My dad was in the military and he worked for the government, the State Department for 44 years. My mom was a housewife taking care of the kids and stuff while my dad was at work. And, you know, um, growing up in the inner city of Virginia, you know, where, uh, where it's just nothing really, nothing but love for real, for real. Yeah. You know, um, kind of where I grew up at. So, yeah, that's kind of like that that whole process. You know, most people in the DMV work for the government. Yeah. So that was going to be my path. You know, usually you go and you follow in your dad's footsteps and you go work for the government. But the Lord had other plans for me. And and talk to me about, you know, at what age did you kind of started to get, you know, because I know they got the Ford Theater and the Folger. You know, what, at what age did you get introduced to the arts? Well, I didn't get introduced. Well, let me go back. And when I was at Port Kelly Magnet School, we used to have the thing like Black History Month where you recite someone from history, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I forget the, the person I had. Maybe it was Dr. King. Maybe it was Malcolm. But the bug has already, has, was already there from the beginning. I just didn't know it was there. So I came to California and I was playing ball in college at the University of Laverne. And I met a guy that had the whitest teeth I've ever seen in a footlocker. This is when 50 cents G units were like really popular. At the time. Yeah. And, and I go in to get a pair of shoes and this guy's teeth is just the white as they can be. And so I asked him, brother, how did you get your teeth so white? He says, crest white strips. I said, okay, but what do you do? He says, I'm an actor and I'm from Merlin. I said, oh, there's the connection from back home. But I said, huh? I always wanted to try that. And once I said that, he said, well, you should come to this acting class that I, that I attend and I'll pick you up. And when I went to the acting class, I knew that this is what I was supposed to do. Wow. How old were you at this point? This had to be around 20, let's say 23. So you got into it later than, you know, it wasn't in your youth where you really started to discover the bug. No, no, not at all. But then when I told my dad, I said, Dad, I think I want to be an actor. He said, I'm not surprised. That's what I always wanted to do. Wow. And then no it took way. me back when he would travel to Bethesda to take headshots. He would bring them home and he have a chef hat on. And I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? Well, I'm trying to get into commercials and something. I said, oh, okay. But I didn't know and it didn't really register at that time because my sole focus was basketball. But when I, you know, but when he told me that, I realized, oh, it's in the gene. So I always tell him that I'm pulling from his grace, his gift. <laughs> I love that. And, and I don't want to skip yeah. over the discipline of basketball. Talk to me about that chapter of your life. Was that, was that fun? Was that a good time in your yeah. life? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We went to the state championship. Um, but you know, it's like, but you don't know, but let me tell you, it's um, in high school. I got cut three times in high school. They do cuts. And you know, yeah, they do cuts in high school. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, very it's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. So, uh, but what that did was it built a drive in me. So even though I went on to play longer than like the star players that were in my, at my high school, but the drive to continue to keep pushing and to continue to get better, that work ethic was built from that disappointment. You know, even Michael Jordan got cut, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that the basketball journey had come to an end when I was at Mesa Junior College in San Diego. And I just woke up one day and I realized and I asked myself, am I playing for the people at home that didn't believe that I can do it? Or am I playing for myself? Mm-hmm. And once I realized that I was playing for people at home that are not even thinking the same way that I'm thinking, not even probably thinking about what I'm thinking about, 
I knew that the journey of basketball had come to an end. I, I, that's so deep. I don't want to skip over that at all. So talk to me, you know, <laughs> when you said you were playing for other people, was it in the sense that all these people in high school told you, you couldn't do it. You couldn't play in college. You couldn't make the team, you know, like where did that, you know, uh, fundamental need to, to prove oneself come from? Cause I know, you know, athleticism is proving yourself, but to prove yourself mm-hmm. to others, you know, versus yourself, that's a very deep thing, man. I talked to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it comes from, you know, when you get come from the team, that embarrassment and you say to yourself, you make a silent agreement with yourself. I'm going to prove you guys wrong. I'm going to prove that I can make it. And so you go on and you're playing, you know, basketball and you're excelling at it and you're doing well at it. But it's no longer your dream. It's the silent agreement that you spoke between yourself that is speaking. And so many of us fall victim to that knowingly and unknowingly. And I was lucky to come to that revelation that. It's it, it, the dream has to be something that I want to do, not me proven from a disappointment. So once I separated myself from that, I was like, OK, well, what is it that Will wants to do with his life? You know, um, am I playing for Will? Am I playing for the friends back home? You know, and, and what really shocked me out of that moment is when I would say to myself, I'm not and a lot of actors do this too, a lot of people in workforce do this. I'm not going home until I make it. Well, what is making it? Are you going after it? If you're going after it, then you're making it. And what broke that train of thinking for me is when I would go home, my mom would say, are you hungry? She didn't care what show I was on. She didn't care how many points I scored. What she cared about is, are you hungry, son? How can I feed you? How can I make sure you're okay? How can I be in the role of of a mother? And I realized, oh my God, I've been living for other people. You know, I've been living for other people. And then so that allowed me to really show up in the world in in, in all of my authentic self and not to people please, not to live for others, but to live for what it is that I'm supposed to do. That's so beautiful, man. And and this Foot Locker incident seems so serendipitous. What was it about that acting class that you think really allowed you to reveal that self to your, reveal the truth to yourself? Well, I, you know, it's so funny. Uh, my auntie, I have an auntie in San Diego and she used to come and visit me in Virginia. Her name is Aunt Lola. And she would wear these wigs. And I used to put these wigs on and do jokes and stuff around the house when I was a kid. And, you know, you, you kind of shut those things off as you get older. Life happens, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but in this acting class, these people were so free, man. You know, they was just, they were crying. They were doing this emotional work. They were improv and they were using their body to express themselves. And I just jumped right in. I'm like, oh, this is, this is my tribe. This is what I've always done. I just didn't focus on it. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And so I just kept going and kept going, getting better and getting better, studying there for about four years and taking scene study classes. And, you know, but it really, uh, poked at the thing that was within me. That's beautiful. What, where was, what, what part of California was this class in? Yeah, this was uh, Expressions Unlimited, Bobby Chance Studios in Studio City. Okay, so you were in LA proper at this point. Yeah, yeah, at this point I was in LA. Mm-hmm. And, and when you were in LA, were you aware of the profound existence of the business? Because, you know, everywhere you go, there's something filming, there's a movie studio, you know, like before you got in this class, did you know about the business, you know, besides I had no idea. 
No, nah, wow. had had no idea. Uh, wasn't something that my uh, focus was on. But I went when I got out of college. A young lady named Amanda was a post a post production supervisor for the show The Apprentice, mm-hmm. the show that Donald Trump was on, and um, and also uh, the show Survivor. So how I got to like Los Angeles is I took a post production job as a PA for The Apprentice in New York. So or? no, no, no. This is when they were shooting in LA. Ah, got it. Well, Mark, well, Mark, well, Mark Burnett Productions. So I went on to do that for a year, and then I worked on the show Survivor. And Survivor has a thing called the Dream Teamers. Is when you we went to China, we went to Palau, but we doubled the contestants. So the con- you're not going to ask the contestants to stop so they can get close up of their hands. That's our hands, you know. And we test the challenges to see if they're too easy, too hard, or where are where were the camel angles be. So a lot of that foundation I was getting from doing that show. Wow. So that was sort of a film mm-hmm. school for you, so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that was that a fun time in your life learning that way? You oh know? man, it's, it was one of the best times. Just you know, I always wanted to go out of the country, but I was always playing basketball, so I got a chance to see that you know to see China and go to Beijing, Shanghai, Nanchung, hike the Great Wall, sleep on the Great Wall, zip line on the Great Wall. Then I got a chance to go to Palau, which is some of the best deep sea diving in the world. You know. So I got a chance to really express myself in the world. So when I would come back and act, it will be easier to settle into a role because I had that life experience. Got it. And, and at this acting studio, what was the method of approach? Was it, was it, you know, Stanislavski? Was it Meisner? Or was it kind of a blend of, of a bunch of different things? It was more, but to me, it felt more spiritual than anything because mm-hmm. the, the, the coach will always say, you know, get the F out of the way. The role just wants to use your body. Get out of your head. Let the role take over. The role knows uh, its lines. The role knows how it wants to move. So it, what, it was, what it was doing was it was breaking down the constructs of your mind to be that you have to perform. It's take on the role and the role will know exactly what it needs to do. It just wants to use your instrument. So to me, that was more of the philosophy. Yeah, there was a little bit of Meisner. There was a little bit of Stanislavski. There was a little bit of Lee Strasberg. There's a little bit of sense memory. Those things I kind of learned as I took different classes later on, but that was all going on in that one class. Got it. And and as you mm-hmm. got in the class, do you feel like you're – you know, facilities for understanding the business were, were developed there because it's so hard to, you know, break in at any age, but let alone when you come to it later, you know? Yeah, well, you know, it was a trial. I, I got, I really got a break in doing commercials. Mm, okay. You know, so I was doing a bunch of commercials and that was giving me a, a kind of, you know, sense of how the business works. And then I was online for a while. This is before Issa Rae blew up. She had a show called Aqua Black Girl. We also had a show called First. So I was already leading that show. And so between those things, I was starting to learn more about the business side of, uh, of the industry. You know, getting your, your LLC with your S-Corp taxation. You know, those things when you're working in different states. A lot of those things came from asking questions from other actors and getting hit with taxes. You know, when I was doing Black Lightning, I was getting taxed in L.A. and Atlanta, but I didn't know. It's my like my first big gig on television. 
So no one sits down and tell you, hey, you got to have these things set up, you know, but the other seasons I had it set up. So and I, and, and I just want to say this is the actors that may be listening. A lot of times your managers and your agent would say, well, you're not making enough money yet to set up a corporation. There's some truth to that, but that's not the entire truth. Because if you believe that this is what you want to do, it's best to set the business up so that when you are, when your name is called, you don't have to track backwards trying to get the business side together. Got it. That's beautiful. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. once you started doing commercials, you obviously had a commercial agent, right? Yes. Were, mm-hmm. were they able to represent you theatrically? No. At the time... It was just only commercial. And how, <laughs> so funny, I worked at a restaurant called Bottega Louie, which is downtown. I don't know if it's still open, but it was the hottest thing at the time. And I got my first commercial agent from waiting tables. I came to the table, I was smiling. And the gentleman said, man, what do you do? I said, I'm an actor, huh? So what do you have a commercial agent? He said, no. Well, I want to take a meeting with you. And from there, I went on booking more and more commercials. And then the, the bartender was also a commercial uh, actor as well. He's, I mean, he's an actor, but, you know, he was working a lot in commercials at the time. And he introduced me to BBR, which was Brady, Brandon and Rich, which is one of the big ones here in Los Angeles that I was with at the time. So then I went on to do like four or five nationals with them. So it was just kind of being in the right place at the right time and vocalizing what I do, but not, at, but not to the point where, I minimized the job that was at hand. Beautiful. And how were those early commercials? Were they big, you know, properties or, you know, what did you do? Can you talk about it? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I did Target and I remember shooting with the director from Little Miss Sunshine, husband and wife. Yeah. uh, That directed Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, One commercial I had on some specs like this and all I did was take a glass and look up. It was a Christmas commercial. For TJ Maxx, paid me $30,000. Wow. And I said, oh, my Lord. Okay, this acting thing can work out. <laughs> so were you able to lose the, the serving job then? Yeah. So as I was working, I was working and I was starting to work a little more. But then I came to a point in my life where I'm like, man, I got to take this leap of faith. And it was an actress by the name of Tisha French, who we shook hands. And I said, I'm leaving on March 31st. No unemployment, no nothing. I'm leaving the job and I'm going to pursue acting full time. And so we made that agreement and I left the job to pursue it full time. And with two years, I didn't work. Wow. You know, so I got accounts were closed. I think, you know, I was in, I'll never forget. I was cashing a residual uh, commercial check and a check cashing place. You know, every account that I had on Bank of America, wherever I had at the time, all those accounts got closed. And, you know, you at, you at the point where you can't call home because home already has enough troubles of its own. Yeah. And some of your friends that you grew up with, they work every day. They go to a nine to five every day. So they can't right. really understand that you took a leap of faith, a leap, a leap of faith and they're like, well, where is the plan at? What are you doing? You know, but you can't give them a plan because you know the plan, but you really don't know the plan. And so you go through all of that. And then, but each time I would get stuck, like I needed to pay the rent. My a good friend of mine called me and said, hey, Will, 
God put it on my heart to pay your rent for the next two months. Wow. And so that was that was enough to get me through two months. Then there's one time I was a, a youth pastor at this one church I was going to out here called One Church. And I had to teach that day, but I didn't have the gas money. And so the Lord spoke to me and said, go to Ralph's, which is a grocery store or Bonds if you're on the East Coast. I mean, if you're on the West Coast, it's Bonds. If you're on the East Coast, it's uh, Safeway. Got it. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so, um, you know, so I go out, I go to the Ralph's. I go to the Ralph's, Ryan, and I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Well, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? So I start the racial profile. I see uh, a, a Spanish and, and white couple sitting by the coffee bean. I said, sure, they will give me some money, you know? So I go up to them and I say, hey, uh, I need $20 to get to the church. And I said, I can send you the money right back because I had the money in my PayPal, but I didn't have the PayPal card to draw from it. Wow. If you give me the email, I can send it to you. So the guy, he pulls out a dollar out of his pocket and he gives it to me. And I just feel so low and I take it. I put it in my pocket. But the Lord didn't tell me to go for 21. They told me to go for 20. So I go back in front of the, the, uh, the Ralphs. Now, the backstory is I didn't want to go because I'm on a show online called First, which was on Issa Rae's channel. Yeah. So I'm getting stopped every single day about the show. You're doing so well. Well, I love your character. So I didn't want to go because I didn't want to be embarrassed. So a lady comes out of the Ralphs. She walks down the steps. She stops. She comes back. She said, don't you play that guy Charlie on first? I said, yes. She said, you're doing an amazing job. And I knew, I said, hold up. This may be provision for me to get to the church. I say, sister, look, I need $20 to get to the church. She takes me into Rouse, where the Lord told me to go, takes the $20 out of the ATM, gives me the $20. And I said, thank you so much. She said, uh, it's going to be all right. I said, I know it is. Then I go back to the, the couple that was sitting by the coffee bean and I give him his dollar back. And he says, well, you don't have to do that. I say, the Lord told me to come for 20, not 21. I only came for 20, but thank you. Went to go put the gas in the car and then went to church to preach the word. But in that moment, what I realized, what I thought was going to embarrass me was used to bless me. So that helps me like in my career, just look, let go. Let all the, the validation or the, the people pleasing, whatever it may be that clogs the artist's body up, let it go so that you can move forward. And, and was first not a high paying job for you or like how, how were you able to boo yourself during this time mentally? And, the, and you know, yeah, all, all that was like non-pay, you know, you was just ah. doing it for the love. You so know, it's non-union, totally. Non-union, you know, you're shooting 15, 16 hours a day and you're just, you know, you, you're working for crafty. Wow. So you were working, yeah. but you weren't getting paid. You, I wasn't getting paid, you know, but, uh, but I, I knew that eventually I will get paid if I stick with it. Yeah. And, and with yeah. that, with first and, you know, where your head was at, where you, you, you were diving into the business, did you get legit representation being theatrical, you know? Yeah, well, for a while, I had um, theatrical representation in North Carolina. Okay. And so, you know, so I was flying from L.A. on my own dime doing one-liners for local hires in Atlanta. 
like Dawson's Creek, those kind of things, or or yeah, Woodtree like, Hill. Like, I think I, I, I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, at the time, I had got one one line. It was in a show for HBO, and it, it didn't it didn't go. It was the pilot. Okay. And then from there, I ended up booking Black Lightning. But I was able to audition in the LA office with Vicky Thomas. So when it was time to get the job, you know, of course they send a car, you fly first class, you're making uh, whatever the guest star um, pay is at the time, you know. So I, then I was able to go back to Atlanta on pay, you know what I mean? But I was, I was going to Atlanta a lot of times on my own dime, sleeping on my, my friend's couch, you know. So he'll let me stay there and I'll go and I'll do the job or I'll do the audition and then I'll fly back to, uh, to L.A., and and would you say Black Lightning is the job that changed it all for you? Yeah, I think it's a combination. I okay. think it's, you know, when I was doing the stuff online because I was already building a solid fan base. Yeah, people knew you. You know what I mean? And um, I was getting my chops chops up and I was already leading the show too. I did one called First. I did one called um, That Guy. And I did two seasons on First, three seasons on That Guy, over 30, 40 some episodes. So when it, when it was... When it came time to do Black Lightning and to do Love Biz to lead a show, I had already done it before. You know, I hadn't done it for Warner Brothers before, but I had already done it on a smaller scale before. And so, uh, but Black Lightning was was one of the main pieces to launch me into the industry. And how did that feel when you booked that? I mean, you, you quit the serving job, you went through these really, you know, struggling times. And even though you were working, you, you, you weren't having success in a monetary sense. And then all of a sudden you book a job for one of the biggest studios in the world. Well, I'll tell you a story. Cause you know, it's, it's, um, you know, the journey as an artist is, is, is the reason why we go through things is so that we can tell stories so that we can play these characters. And the first day on uh, the set of black light and it's not going well. You know, I have the biggest scene of the episode. You're starting with the lead, the lead character and myself. And we're doing the rehearsal and the director comes over, Salim McKeel. He comes over and he says, it's loving here. It's this here. It's that here. And you're like, man, this is not going well, man. This is my shot. I know it's just my shot. So I go back to the trailer and... At the time, I was listening to some gospel music, which was not the music that being the character that I needed for this role. <laughs> so I put on some Meek Mills, Young Nigga, F That Checkup. That's what the song was. And it puts me in the mode of what I needed to be. Yeah. And so I go back to the set and we start to do the scene. And then everybody's like, wow, wow. You know, and right then I knew that I will always work. Wow. I knew I would always work at that point. So, cause I, and I, and I told myself, I said, I know this is my time. And I think actors and artists and, and people, you know, cause we all artists in a way you come to a crossroad in your life where you realize that there's you, you came too far to go back. Yeah. I'm there. I, so you have yeah. to push forward, but you have to tell yourself that this is my time. I'm not going to let this moment slip by. And that's what, happened to me in that moment. I said, I'm not going to let this moment slip by. It was only two episodes guaranteed that turned into four seasons for me and for my character, you know? And some people saying, oh, it's only two episodes. Never look at it. Yeah. Jeffy Wright said, there's not, there's not small roles. 
there's only small actors, you know? So it's up to you to take the little and do your best with it and be of service to it so that it can springboard you to something else. And when that happened and, and it got picked up and you went further, you know, did you flex up rep wise to a bigger agency? No, I kept my, I went to CAA. When I got Love Is, I went to CAA and I was there for a year, but then I realized at CAA and some of these big agencies, there's tears inside of a company. Totally. So depending on who you're signed with and the level that they're at in that company is what you have access to. Fascinating. You know what I mean? So I said, oh, okay, I got that. I did, you know, I ended up doing Force of Nature with um, Mel Gibson and Kate Bosworth and Emil Hirsch from CAA. I did Charm City Kings from CAA. Yeah. You know, I love, uh, Lovecraft Country as well. Lovecraft Country came through uh, A3, which is okay. who I'm with now. Got you know, it. and then, so then, so it's been like, I, I kind of kept my people as I went up the ladder. You know what I mean? Yeah. But now I was at a place where, you know, there's a major shift, like Shining with Sugar 23, you know, we talked about a little bit about business early on. I like to share with the actor about business, Please. but in, in order for me at this time in the path of my journey to keep everybody was going to be like 35% that I was going to yeah. have to pay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm like, you know, it's just, it's not healthy for the business. Those are tough decisions to make when you have been with people for so long. You know what I mean? But you have to make those decisions because if you say, okay, if I when I book a job or something that goes to Canada, Canada takes 25% off top for their taxes, plus the 35% that you pay into agent, managers, lawyer, Ooh. off the gross. So how much is the actor living with? How much is the actor taking home? So you have to keep those things in mind. And then also you got 25% you have to put away for taxes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, the so you're walking away with like five percent. You know, it's crazy. You know, yes. yeah. And, and then and then say you might do a job, and sometimes you do a job so well that you need to take two years off so people can shake off the character. Yeah. So you have to plan to have finances and resources for that time off, like a mini IRA, so to speak. You know, like a yeah, exactly. So I always tell you know I teach acting too. So in the can in you can you academy. let's let's please can you talk about that? Where do you teach acting yeah. at? So I have a I have a, a school called the Catlett Academy, and so um, we're still in our rebuilding phase right now, but we're getting ready to launch again this month. But these are the things I'm speaking about that I teach these young actors and older actors that may know or may not know, just about one getting the spirit of the role. And then two, getting the business. It is show business. Yeah. And, and you can't make these silent agreements that, oh, I'm going to do this for this manager because they've been with me the longest, but it may not make sense in the end, you know? So you have to understand that it is a business and you love people and you can take care of people and be good to people. But if the business of Will Catlett is not healthy, then I can't help anybody. Who, who mentored you? Because you have such an amazing sense of business, you know, and it's hard to get that kind of information from someone who's got a financial interest in your life. So who helped you develop this? I mean, you're incredible, man. I, I love it. Man, honestly, Ryan, it's been trial and error. It's been asking questions. 
It's been talking to other actors. It's been seeing the pitfall of some actors. You know, um, I took an act, I took a uh, workshop class for this lady named Peggy Buck, and she was given a prosperity one-on-one. That's what she called it. And then she broke down how to put 10% away for God, 10% to yourself, 25% for taxes. And so she gave a kind of foundation based on the church principles of how to govern your money. So I was able to take some of that knowledge, mix it with the knowledge I was learning and to form it to make it work for me. Yeah. So that you're not sitting there having to take a job because if you don't, you're gonna lose the house. And there's nothing wrong with actors who take the job to save the house, you know what I mean? Because you're trying to put food on your table. But for me, I never want to prostitute the gift. I don't want to take a job because I have to make money. Then it's no longer the gift, you know? And it's not knocking anybody that had to do that because sometimes you're up against the wall and you have, and the circumstances are stacked against you that you're saying, okay, I'll go do this movie that I really don't want to do because it's going to pay the bills. Nothing wrong with that. But the next movie, let's get in position so we don't have to do that. And so, you know, so I try to look at it like that so I can always be free in the work. So whatever role I approach it, I'm not cheating on the role by saying, I got to do this. I really don't want you to embody me, but I really need these finances right now. Yeah. So I try to make sure that I don't put myself in that position where I have to make those decisions, you know, Mm -hmm. because it, to me, the art will leave you if you don't honor the art, you know, whatever you don't honor, you will lose, you know, like you and I, you know, we have, we build a friendship, but if I stop calling you, if I stop checking in on you, then the relationship begins to, to die because we're not watering that plant, you know? And so the art works the same way. So I, I value the art at that level to, to make sure that I'm always honest with it and honest with myself. That's beautiful. And for those listening, where can they check out the, the Will Cutlet Attic Acting Academy? It's uh, the CatletAcademy.com. Catlet, so it, Catlet, it, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it'll be up sometime here. My wife is like in there. She's like building the whole thing out. Oh, you know, congratulations, so this man. Is the, yeah, yeah, this is the garage I'm in where I do a lot of this shooting and auditioning and all that other stuff. That's so beautiful. And, and I'm curious, you know, because Black Lightning was such a success and is such a big show, that probably limited other projects that you could do in your spare time, right? You know what's so unique about, and this is, and I'll say this to, to the actors that are listening, it's so important to have a vision for your career, which you want to do. Early on, I had a vision for what I wanted to do. So I always made sure that my contracts didn't lock me in. Mm. You know, so I was able to go and do multiple shows at one time when others could not, you know, uh, I believe the world has changed. We're not, it's no longer the CBS guy, the Fox guy. Right. Because the person that's on Fox can also be on Netflix and the viewer doesn't have a problem with it. They just want the good content. So I think the contracts have to evolve as the industry evolves. So like, like even this year alone, I did true story in January. I was working on black lightning in January, that finished up. I went on to go do Ptolemy Gray with Sam Jackson for Apple. Then I did first the movie I was talking I mean, the show I was talking about became a movie. I shot that. And then I shot The Devil You Know with Omar Epps. 
and uh, uh, Michael he, Ely. Theo, right? He's in that too? And, and Theo. And yeah. Theo's in that as well. And then I went on to do The Spook Who Sat By The Door. And then I went on to do uh, Thousand and One with Tiana Taylor. So uh, you had a hell York. of a year. That was all shot in six months. Wow. So from January, I'm the January, no, January to August. I finished up thousand one in August. But I was able to jump from these different projects because I knew the vision that I desired to fulfill. So I wasn't gonna take a series that was gonna lock me in where I couldn't do anything. Well, make me a fractional series regular or make me a, a, a top of show guest star. You know, so that way I can be flexible as I want to put myself in these different things. Some of the best advice I've ever received. And thank you for sharing that with everyone. I, I really love that. And, you know, mm-hmm. crazy story. I don't I don't often talk about, you know, my own acting, but uh, I, I was up for Savas in, in True Story. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice, it was a, it was a, I was way too young for that role, man. I don't I, I don't know how they you know, I'm, I'm flattered and it was it was fun to audition. But. You know, I, I remember auditioning for that piece. So talk to me about how did that come your way? Did did you know Kevin or, you know, where did that? No. So the, so one of the executive producers, Charles Murray, um, I met him like eight years prior at a table read. He came to a table read with a good friend of mine, Matthew Cherry, who's a director that's killing it. You know, um, he had a script about a love story about about that took place in the backwoods of St. Croix and the U.S. Virgin Islands, actually where my wife is from, ironically. And so I do the table read, I meet Charles, and then I don't see Charles for eight years. And so then the audition comes up, I audition, and then as, it, as an actor, you know, you, we're putting them on tape now, so I put it on tape. Uh, the casting director gives me a redirect, so I retape. And then that leads to uh, the, the callback or whatever with all the producers and stuff. And then I see Charles on there. So I do the audition. And it's important for actors also to know that there's nothing wrong with showing your personality after you did the work. Yeah, you, you, know, you can break. The you don't, day, yeah. You, because at the end of the day, they're also looking who's going to be good on set to yeah. work with for this amount of period of time. And when I see Charles, genuinely, I was just like, oh, man, thank you for the opportunity. And it's so good to see you, man. You know what I'm saying? Thank you all. Boom, 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 boom. I now want to let my wife and baby back in because they was outside of the, the hotel because I was shooting Black Lightning at the time. Got it. That I was auditioning for that. You know, and so it's nothing wrong. Sometimes actors, oh, you know, we do it. Okay, thank you. And then we leave. But you only have that time. Do the work. But also, it's okay to be you because that's who they're hiring at the end of the day. If you got to the callback, they know that you can do the job. Now it's about how does he mesh or she mesh with everything else? Oh, we know that we're shooting, you know, uh, eight episodes and Kevin's schedule is busy and we got to get this out in amount of time. How is this person, how is this person going to handle the pressure of that? So they're thinking about all those different things. Not for you to consume yourself with that, but just be you. Got it. And, mm-hmm. and, and from that, you know, session, did you feel like you had it? Yeah, because, you know, at the time I was up for two jobs. True Story was on the table and BMF was on the table. Mm. And True Story was going to let me know by seven o'clock that night whether they want to go with me. And so that was also another leap of faith because BMF was was on the table like, we want you. True Story was still up in the air. 
you know? So I had to wait and I'm just like, oh, let me just wait. And whatever I'm supposed to do, I'll do. And true story came back. And um, so we had to let uh, the BMF job go. I wanted to do both, but this was in time of COVID. Yeah. So it wasn't going to let me fly back and forth to do that. And, uh, but, uh, you know, the actor who got it, got the BMF job, incredible. You know what I'm saying? Wood air. So it's not like they love lost, wood, you know man. I mean? Great, great. You know actor. what I mean? So, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, and, and sometimes you see people do things, you're like, brother, that was for you. Yeah. And this was for me, you know, and, and to work alongside Kevin and Wesley and everybody that was on the show and Paul and Tani, who I spent a lot of time with, but was amazing because I was really a fly on the wall, you know, a lot of times just watching him outside of work and all the things that he has to handle, the production company. Uh, he was shooting another movie called Borderlands, so he was training. Yeah, and hungry. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was training in the morning, coming to shoot with us, you know. So he'd go train, work out in the morning. He'd train, shoot train about six or something, get to set about eight or nine with us, you know what I mean? And they have monologues, pages, and just be so present. So I got a chance to sit back and see how does a movie star operate, yeah. you know? And, I, you know, so that that knowledge and wisdom, you can't pay for. And I was I was glad that he shared a lot of uh, things with me to advance my career. So he was really good to you, Kevin Hart was? Oh, man, he was good to everybody. But for me, I was around him enough. And, you know, I, we always say this, real recognize real. And I think what that means for people to understand People, under, people can see if you're being genuine. Are you there to really serve or are you there to take? You know, and as even as I was playing the role of the bodyguard, also Will was there to serve Kevin in, in any capacity that he needed. I wanted him to feel like I was one of the people that worked with his camp that protect him day in and day out. Yeah. And if he can feel comfortable enough to be around me in that way, I was doing my job. So I'm also working in the role, but the role is still working outside of the parameters of action and cut. I love the way your mind works, Will. I mean, it, it, this has been so enlightening for me. That's beautiful. And, you know, shooting a job in a pandemic is already weird, but, you know, I mean, working with such a big movie star is also weird. So what's it been like now having done this job a year ago and seeing it come out? You know, has it been fulfilling? Has it been scary? You know, talk to me about that, you know, letting go and seeing the world recognize real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm ready. That's kind of what it spoke to me, you know, is that I'm, I'm, I'm ready, you know, um, I've been fortunate to work with three movie stars in six months, Sam Jackson, Kevin Hart, Wesley Snipes, you know? So you're also able to measure yourself as an artist to see where you fall at, you know? Meaning like, where you fall on the scale? If Kevin's a 10, where do I position? If Wesley's a 10, if Sam's a 10, where does Will Kevin fall? You know, um, and I'm able to measure that. And there's nothing wrong with an actor measuring your progress. And so when I measure myself, I'm saying, oh, no, it's time. It's time for you to, to be exactly where you've always saw yourself to be, even when you were first starting out in that acting class, you know? Yeah. So I'm ready to take the reins of that and to, you know, work with a Christopher Nolan, 
you know, yeah. to work with these big time directors and, and let them pull more things out that I haven't discovered yet and to remain teachable. You know, even if, if you're measuring yourself as an actor, you may say, dang, I'm on a 10-10. I'm a, I'm a 10 too. But if the lead is the lead, it's nothing wrong with submitting yourself so that the role can shine through and then support Kevin. I was so happy to see him prosper in this, you know what I mean? And kill it the way he killed it and be a part of his journey in, in breaking into drama, you know, and people not just seeing him as a comedic actor, you know? Yeah. Most comedians can do drama well anyway, so I don't know why people think like that, but some do, but it was nice to see people really give him his flowers, you know what I mean? And to be a part of that and to learn from that. There's nothing wrong as an actor when you're playing a supporting role role to be like the doormat. Yeah. Be as low as you can be. It has nothing to do with pride. Be low. Be low because when you're so low like that, it gives room for people to lift you high. You know? And sometimes we come in there with that, you know, the swag of I'm me, you know, but you may not be the lead to to put all that into it. You may be the guy that's on the computer. And I guarantee if you, if you really submit yourself to that, then people would, would, would see there's something going on with this person that's on the computer, you know? So we don't always have to, to be big, to try to be seen, you know, just be present. I love that, man. And, and now that you have this out and you've done those other amazing projects, what are some of the goals you have in store? Man, I, I say this, and I don't think I've shared this with anyone, but I'll share it with you, Ryan, because you're my podcast, brother. Yeah. You know, for, for, the, for the longest, you know, I, I was saying to myself, very small, small voice saying, I'm a movie star, I'm a movie star, I'm a movie star. Now, when I'm saying that, you got to go back 10 years there's nothing happening. There's nothing moving. I'm on the web, you know? And I remember a manager that I had at the time, she calls me up and I'm saying, I want to get more work. And she says, Will, you have to understand that you're just a co-star actor right now. And when she said that, what I was saying small was, I'm a movie star, rose up in me. And I said, I'm a movie star. And that's the first time I've actually heard myself say it and believe it. Wow. And so, you know, I think that I think the manager at the time for that, because she was able to say something to call something out of me that was within. And so when I went to go do True Story, I'm coming off, you know, working and knowing all that is within me. And I have to be the doormat on this show. You know what I'm saying? And I asked God, I said, man, why am I here? He said, you want to be a movie star, right? Well, I sent you to serve one, so you'll know how, how it works. I said, oh my God, <laughs> I didn't see it. How can you go somewhere, when you spoke about mentorship, how can you go somewhere unless someone lets you in? That's why they call gatekeepers. So yeah. I sent you to a job so that you can serve a movie star because it's only two. The Rock and Kevin, if you count numbers, not talking about legacy, you know, Oscars. who's been doing it. Yeah. Oscars. Let's just say numbers, right? For the sake of the climate that we in, you know, in the information age, right? Or the techno techno technology age, whatever age we're in. So, you know, so I got a chance to 
live what I've been speaking. So now it's my time to become that because now I've seen how it works. So now I can have it, you know? So to someone that is listening, do not despise small beginnings. That small voice that you saying, I'm going to make it as an actor, just keep saying it because eventually it will happen. You just have to stick around long enough to meet that opportunity. And a lot of times we, we, we die on the road. We die on that road of, 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 of the lack of opportunity because we don't see it yet. Yeah. But the opportunity is right there. We just have to keep going and get around people. Listen to the podcast that Ryan has going on. Get and, around people. And Will. And, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and uh, get around people that will encourage you. And everybody that you grew up with is not going to support your dream. Don't be mad at them. It's not their dream. It's not their dream. It's not their vision. It's your vision. Yeah. So as long as you stay faithful to the vision, it will speak at some point. You know, but as an artist, we know it could be 40, it could be 60, it could be 70, yeah. it could be now. You know what I'm saying? So just prepare yourself for the marathon and that way you can always be joyful, totally. joyful uh, 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 in the process. And, and I'll share this one quick story. When I was doing commercials, I had lost my joy, you know, because I was doing them and doing them and doing them and I was booking and booking, but... You know, I had one of seven auditions, Ryan, and um, and I kept getting called back at the call, back at the call, back. And I was like, why am I not booking? And then it rem- I reminded myself, I said, man, you lost your joy. You're not going into the room with that extra little sprinkle yeah. that's going to make you shine and separate you from everybody else. Totally. And when I went back in, it was a McDonald's audition, and I was had that joy, boom, I booked. And I realized, well... No matter what, no matter if it's 18 hours on set, no matter if you feel like you should have been getting paid more, no matter if you feel like you should be further along than we're yet, keep your joy. Because that is the hidden key that separates you from every other actor. Everybody else is going into a, a, a job, just like a job interview. We all going in for the same job. You know, but what makes it the, the boss pick you? There's something else speaking that's deeper than if we all have the same criteria, we all went to the same school, we all have the same skill set. Why is this boss picking this particular person? There's something else operating. And that is joy. The person, it's just the way he came off, the way she came off. She just had this this lightness about her, you know, because people want to work with good people at the end of the day. <laughs> Will, my fucking God, man. This is can, can you come back for round two? Do you do therapy? What the fuck, dude? <laughs> my God, man. I needed this, dude. This is amazing. And and uh man, can you can you, I, I want to plug your podcast? Tell me about it. So it's called the Stonecutter Podcast. It's on Apple, it's on Stitcher, it's on every uh platform. And it's with me and a good friend, uh, my buddy Aaron. He works for Nike and okay. he's a, a space engineer that left the space engineer industry to go work for Nike, you know, to uh, build shoes, to build different technology. And, and so him and I decided to do a podcast on the journey as we go, as he became with Nike, as I become and blow up more as an actor, he's, as he 
climbs higher into that scale. You know, now he's doing art with Tom Sachs, you know. And so we document everything. We just get on like me and you on and we talk. Yeah. And we discuss the journey because a lot of times actors don't see or people in general don't see the, the process. You know, if you just came on to Denzel now, you know what I mean? You didn't see when he did all this and what he went through. Yeah. So now you're hearing it as we're actually going through it in real time. And then we called it the Stonecutters podcast because it's not the first hit that cracks the stone. It may be the thousand hit, the 20,000 hit that cracks the stone open. So you just have to keep cracking at the stone and eventually it will open up or eventually you will craft out a beautiful career. Man, I needed it. I don't, I don't, I don't think this has been one of the best I've ever done, man. Fuck you. <laughs> You're amazing. Well, man, your energy is incredible. You, you are going to become a movie star. I feel it, man. I'm really proud of you, man. And, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and opening up. It means the world to me. And I needed to hear that Ryan, the actor and, and Ryan, the, the despairing artist, you know, and, and thank you for sharing that. And, and I'd love to have you back, man. Oh, yeah, man. I love to come back, brother. And uh, I'm excited for you. You know, uh, what you're doing is being of service to so many, you know, so I know that the Lord will lift you high and all your dreams and aspirations and your desires will come true. You know, we just got to stick with it. Keep having fun. Keep your joy. And what you're doing is, is such a blessing. And it blessed me too. you know, to uh, sit down and, and speak about things and to as artists, sometimes we live in our heads so much that we don't even hear ourselves talk about the things Completely. that we want to do because we're so afraid that people are going to, you know, uh, uh, crap on our dreams and our goals, you know. But um, the, the key to this message, if anybody take anything away from it, is keep your joy. Don't lose hope. Keep the faith. Keep going. Eventually, you'll be where you're at and enjoy living moment to moment. Because that's what we're supposed to do as artists, enjoy living moment to moment each time. And I'm excited for everybody that is listening. I'm excited that nothing but booking, 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 booking for every actor that will ever listen to this now and in the future, that doors will open up for them. Well, Kellen, man, thank you, brother. The Virginia boys got to stick together. So I'm going to shoot you a follow, man, and, and I want you to come back. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, brother. God bless y'all. All right. And, and what's the best way for people to, to stay in touch with you and find out about the studio and the pod? What's your Instagram? It's uh, Will Catlett. And that's my Instagram. If you're on Twitter, it's Chill Will Bay. That's C-H-I-L-L-W-I-L-L-B-E-Y. That is all my nicknames over the years. People call me Will. People call me Bay. People call me Chill. People call me Chill Will. Some people say <laughs> Chill Will Bay. So, you know, it's a little, a little, a little, a little thing for everybody in the pot. <laughs> I love that, brother. And, and I'm really proud of you. And, and, and your mindset is incredible. And thank you for, for not losing that because it's easy. So, so easy to get disillusioned. And I really needed this breast burst of fresh energy. And, and man, it's, it's everything you said I needed to hear. So thank you for sharing. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Well, brother, thanks for coming on. True Stories out now, and you got three amazing projects coming out very soon. And 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 please come back when they're out. And let's talk. Let's do it. All right. Well, Catlett, so much love, brother. No much love. Woo! <laughs> Thank you.
If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.